You are listening to the Central Church Podcast. To learn more about Central Church, including our gathering times, please visit gocentralchurch.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Ethan Crowder. Well, good morning. It's good to see you today. If you have a Bible, go ahead and meet me in Hebrews chapter 7. Uh, is where we'll be together today, Hebrews chapter 7. Uh, and as we get started, let me just say happy Mother's Day uh, to all of the moms who are here today. Uh, we hope that you feel special and you feel loved uh, and you feel cared for. Uh, and dads, if you forgot to get your wife flowers, uh, we have you covered, all right? Uh, so uh, make sure that you stop by and, uh, and grab some flowers there. Um, as, we, as we keep going, I, I just want to say this and make this clear. Uh, one of the things I understand, one of the things we understand is that today for many people is a day uh, to celebrate and to rejoice and to be excited. Uh, but for many, maybe even some of you here today, uh, maybe today is a day that stings a little. Uh, maybe it's a reminder of um, a mom that, you, uh, that is no longer with you. Or uh, maybe it's a, a reminder of that desire that you want to be a mom. Um, hey, what we want you to know is that you're loved not just here at Central, uh, but you're loved by our Heavenly Father uh, who cares for you. And, and I hope that this morning is an encouragement uh, for you as well as we uh, think about Jesus as our high priest. Uh, you know, one of the, the fun things about social media on days like today is uh, you can get on Facebook or Instagram or MySpace, what, whatever it may be, uh, and, and you, can, uh, you can start seeing all of these posts about how wonderful everyone's mom is, right? Or about how wonderful, I'm so blessed to be the mom of these kids or, or this or, or that. And, and everyone has the best mom, right? It, it, my mom, uh, the, the best mom or the, the best wife or the, the best this or the, the best that. And they, they go on to talk about all of the reasons that they, they love their mom or all of the reasons they love their wife or, or all of the reasons that they love their kids. And, and they all start to kind of sound the same after a while, don't they? Uh, they they, they all kind of, uh, every mom is great for this reason or, or that reason, or kids are great for this reason uh, or that reason. Well, well, as we look at this passage today here in Hebrews 7, what we're going to see is we're going to see uh, the author of Hebrews uh, come into a conversation much like that. Uh, but the conversation that he's going to come into, the, the conversation that, he, that we're going to pick up on, is he's going to start comparing and contrasting, much like we have all of these posts, all of these pictures, all of these things on social media about moms and, and these different moms. He, he's going to come into this conversation, and he's going to start talking about priests. And the priest of the Old Testament, the, the priest that the law brings, but how Jesus is a better high priest and how, how Jesus is really unique in all that he does and all that he accomplishes and all that he is. And so as we look at this passage, we're going to see this, that, that Jesus is our great high priest who does what no other priest can do. Jesus is our great high priest who does what no other priest can do. And so look with me here at Hebrews chapter 7. Uh, we're just going to look at three verses today, uh, 26, 27, 28. Let me invite you to stand uh, as we honor the reading of God's perfect and precious word here in Hebrews chapter 7. Starting in verse 26, the Spirit says to us this morning, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son 
who has been made perfect forever. This is God's word. You can be seated. Uh, Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word uh, that is true. Uh, Thank you that Jesus has come and that he is our high priest, that he's offered the final sacrifice once for all when he offered up himself. And so, Father, I pray uh, this morning that we would see and we would be reminded of the good news of the gospel. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, before we dive into this passage, we need to set a little context. And now the book of Hebrews, we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. The, the author never identifies himself. But what we know about the book of Hebrews is that it's not a letter like the other letters that we have in the New Testament. In fact, Hebrews is less of a letter and more of a sermon. So what the author of Hebrews is going to do is he's going to take Old Testament texts all through the book. He's going to take several Old Testament texts and he's going to explain and he's going to apply these Old Testament texts and these Old Testament passages and these Old Testament signs and symbols in light of the coming of Jesus. And so that's what he's doing here. And we're, we're going to see where he's going to unpack for us uh, in another place in Hebrews, another Old Testament text that, that speaks right into this conversation. But as we're reading this, we need to remember that, that he is writing, he is speaking, he is preaching essentially a sermon uh, to Hebrews, to Jews, to uh, believers who, who are Jewish believers, Jewish in background, but really Jewish in practice. Now they've been saved and now he's writing to show how Jesus transforms everything that they thought they knew about the Old Testament. And, and so as we look at this passage, first we see this, we see who Jesus is. We see who Jesus is. Really, the entire book of Hebrews is identifying Jesus. If we were going to summarize the book of Hebrews or the the message of Hebrews in one sentence, it would be this, that Jesus is better. That's what the author of Hebrews, every point he's making, every, every truth he's driving home, he's beating it with that hammer that Jesus is better. Now, where we pick up here in Hebrews 7, this is actually the last of five arguments that the author of Hebrews is going to make about why Jesus is a better high priest and why Jesus is the final high priest. And so he's going to make these five arguments. And what he's doing here is he's comparing Jesus, and this will be important a little bit later on. He's comparing Jesus to a little known priest from Genesis chapter 14 named Melchizedek. And now, uh, when we had our two boys, I tried to get Anna to go with Melchizedek Crowder, uh, but she said no. Uh, I know, I know. Um, But Melchizedek, right, just rolls off the tongue there. Uh, If you flip over to Genesis 14, you don't have to do that now, but Melchizedek is a, uh, he has a quick little snippet in Genesis 14. Uh, Then in Psalm 110, he's going to come back on the stage. But Melchizedek is this, he's the king of Salem, which would go on to be Jerusalem. But what's interesting about Melchizedek is he's a king, but what we also see is that he's a priest. And so Abram comes to him after a battle and uh, he makes a, uh, he cares for Abram and for uh, his, um, his, uh, his army and uh, he gives him bread and he gives him wine and then he offers a sacrifice. And then what we see Abram do is we see Abram give a tenth of all that he has to this Melchizedek, uh, to this priest king. And, And so what the writer of Hebrews is saying is he's saying, look, you remember Melchizedek in Genesis 14? 
Well, Jesus falls in line with Melchizedek, but really he's going to do so much more. And so here in verse 26, he's going to connect this passage with the rest of this section, showing us that, that Jesus is our great high priest who does what no other priest can do. And so look at verse 26. He says, for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest. It, it was indeed fitting. It was suitable. The kind of priest that we have, he's been building this case, showing that Jesus is this high priest. He says here that it was indeed fitting that we should have a high priest like Jesus, that it's suitable that Jesus Christ is perfect, that he meets all of our needs. In other words, that because of Jesus, we don't need anyone else. We don't need another priest. We don't need another person to go before God on our behalf because we have a fitting, we have a suitable, we have a the right kind of priest. We have Jesus. And here in verse 26, he's going to show, all right, what is this Jesus, this priest, what is he like? And he goes through and he gives us this list of characteristics. He, he gives us this list of attributes. He says it's indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest who's holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners. When he calls Jesus holy, he's saying that he is always righteous. He always does what is right. When he, he says that he's innocent, he's devoted to what is good. When he says that he's unstained, we know what that means, right? That he's, he's undefiled. He hasn't been defiled by sin. He, he hasn't been corrupted by the, the things that, of the world, the things that we have been corrupted by, and that he is separated from sinners, not separated from sinners, it's really a, a kind of a summary statement that he is altogether different. But really, if we were to jump back to whenever he calls Jesus holy, that's how he's starting this conversation. When he says that Jesus is holy, that word holy means that he is different. He is different in every possible way. And so what's the reward for this righteousness and this purity? We'll look there at the end of verse 26 that he is exalted above the heavens, that he is ruling and he is reigning above the heavens. That's the, the highest seat, right? That he's ruling and reigning not just over the earth, but he's ruling and reigning over the heavens. And so every heavenly being, every heavenly creature answers to Jesus. See, here in verse 26, really what we have is we've got a list of Jesus's credentials, all of his credentials are there. His qualifications check out. He is uniquely suited to go to God on our behalf. And here's the thing, because Jesus is holy and innocent, unstained and separated from sinner, he, he, he's uniquely suited to go to God on our behalf and God always hears him. Right? God always listens. He, he always understands. See, this is good news for us because what this means is that this holy Jesus, this holy Savior, this holy high priest that we have, that when he goes to the Father, he is always heard. And what this means is that because Jesus is going to the Father for us, we can be sure that we always have an advocate, right? We can be sure that we have a perfect advocate at the Father before us. And it's really good news that that advocate isn't us, right? Because if we were to go back and look at this list of who Jesus is, that he's holy and he's innocent and he's unstained and he's separated from sinners, what this means is that he is the exact opposite of us, right? Because if we're honest, we know that we're not always holy. We know that we're not innocent. 
We know that we're not unstained, but we are stained. That We're not separated from sinners, but we are like sinners. And so Jesus goes to the Father on our behalf. That's what a priest does, right? A, a priest acts as that mediator between God and man. And so now we don't go to the Father hoping that we've been good enough. Right? We don't go to the Father hoping that, well, have I been holy enough? Have I been innocent enough? I know that I've been stained by the world, but hopefully I've prayed enough or I've tried hard enough and I've tried, to, I've tried to not do these things. And so I hope that God will hear me. I hope that he will answer me. But what we have in Jesus as our high priest is we have the guarantee that God always hears what Jesus prays. Right, that God always hears what Jesus asks. And so when Jesus goes before the throne for us, which is what we read earlier in Hebrews, when Jesus is before the Father for us, that God delights to answer Jesus' prayers for you. See, this is who Jesus is. Jesus is a Savior. He, he's our high priest. He's the one who mediates for us. And so we don't go to God hoping that he will hear us. No, we go to the Father through Jesus Christ with confidence, knowing that he'll hear us, and knowing that he does love us. And so here in verse 26, we, we see who Jesus is. Next, we see this, what Jesus does. Now, in this passage, in this one verse that we've looked at, we, we don't have this great explanation or this, this great exposition of what does a priest do, but here we get a glimpse and we see what makes Jesus unique. Now, remember, we're, we're coming into this conversation on the end of the argument. So, so really, this is kind of a, a summary argument. This is, this is kind of a, a summary statement. And so we're coming in. He's already talked a little bit about what priests do, but here in verse 27, we get a, a little bit of a clearer picture. The writer writes, he has no need like those high priests offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. See, what he's doing is he's contrasting Jesus with the other high priest. He, he begins not by saying, here's what Jesus does, but he begins by showing, hey, here's what Jesus doesn't need to do. And, and what does Jesus not need to do? Well, he doesn't need to offer sacrifices for himself because like we've already seen, he's completely holy, right? He's unstained, he's, he's undefiled. And so every other priest, every other priest had to offer sacrifices for himself before he was qualified to offer sacrifices for the people. But not so with Jesus. Jesus didn't need to offer sacrifices for himself because Jesus had no need for a sacrifice, right? Jesus was completely perfect, completely holy. See, every other priest had to offer sacrifices for his own sins, but Jesus is different. But notice in verse 27 what he says. He says, he has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily. See, there's a second reason that Jesus doesn't need to offer sacrifices daily, and it's because his one sacrifice was sufficient. At the end of verse 27, look at what he says. He says he doesn't need to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this, get this, once for all. There's only one sacrifice that we need, and that's Jesus, right? Jesus did it once, and when he did it once, he did it for all of our sins, for all of the sins of his people. 
And so every other priest, they're offering these sacrifices daily, trying to, to earn God's grace, earn God's favor, to seal God's grace for his people. But all of those sacrifices, they were really just pointing to the once and the final sacrifice that was to come. Now, over 13 years of marriage, I have learned what may be the most dangerous question that any husband can ask his wife or any kid can ask their mom, and it's, it's a short question, but it goes something like this, what's for dinner, right? Uh, maybe you've asked that question before, maybe you have, uh, you've come in and, and you've, you've asked your wife or you've asked your mom, hey, what's for dinner? Uh, and I typically think, well, this is a helpful conversation, right? This is, this is a helpful thing. I'm, I'm asking from a place uh, of curiosity, right? Uh, but what I've learned is that there are better things to, to ask when I first come in the door. But the reason, the reason that, that we ask that question, the, the reason that we wonder those things is because breakfast and lunch are no longer sufficient, Right? Uh, breakfast and lunch have, have long been eaten. They have long been gone. I've, I've used up everything that lunch is going to give me. And so now uh, I am looking to see, okay, well, what is the next meal going to be? Here's the thing. Jesus' sacrifice never runs out. It's never used up. It never expires. It is always sufficient. See, wouldn't it be great if, if you could eat one meal and then that one meal would be sufficient uh, for the rest of your days. You know, we, we, we've had that experience, maybe at Thanksgiving or Christmas or, or at some holiday or some party, you eat and then you say, I will never eat again, right? Then dinner comes and what do you say? I could eat again, right? I, I could go for a little snack or, or something like that. See, we don't have to keep offering sacrifices because Jesus is the once and final sacrifice for all the sins of his people. There's a reason that, that we don't have to keep offering the blood of bulls and goats. One, because Hebrews tells us that, that the, the blood of bulls and goats does nothing, but the blood of Jesus does everything. See, a sacrifice never runs out. This is what makes Jesus so unique, is that his sacrifice is always sufficient. But what also makes Jesus unique is that Jesus is not only the priest who offers the sacrifice, but Jesus is also the sacrifice. The end of verse 27, he, he says he doesn't need to offer sacrifices daily since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. See, Jesus offers himself as a sacrifice for our sins. His sacrifice is sufficient for all of his people's sins. It, it closes the door on the need for more sacrifices. What this means is that Jesus' sacrifice closes the door on your need to earn God's grace. Because in Jesus, he has earned God's grace for you. In his life and in his death and in his resurrection, Jesus has done everything to secure God's grace for his people for all of time. And so it's not that, well, Jesus offered up part of the sacrifice, and now I've got to offer up the rest of the sacrifice, or, or Jesus did part of the work, and now I've got to offer up my part. No, Jesus did it all. Right? Look There in verse 27, he says that, that he did this once for all when he offered up himself. That word all, it's referring to the sins of his people. We know this from the context of the passage. And so the writer of Hebrews doesn't say that, that Jesus did this once for most of your sins. Or, or Jesus did this once for, for most of his people. No, Jesus did this once for all, for 
everyone. His sacrifice is sufficient. It closes the door on the need for more sacrifices or more work or more striving or more attaining. See, the good news is, is that we don't have to, we don't have to act like lawyers who, who need to relitigate our case before God. See, in Christ, our sins have been dealt with. And here's the thing, we make really terrible lawyers, right? We all, we all have this need, we're, we're constantly feeling that pressure to maybe justify our sins to ourselves. Right? That, that, that maybe we, we need to argue that, hey, you know what, my sins really aren't that bad. My sins, they're bad, but they're not as bad as his, or they're not as bad as hers, or they're not as bad as this person, or as bad as that person. So we're trying to justify ourselves. I had a Sunday school teacher tell me one time that the minute you have to try to justify yourself, you know that you're wrong, right? But we don't stop there just trying to justify our sins to ourselves. Maybe sometimes we try to justify ourselves before a holy God. And so maybe sometimes we try to go before the Father and we say things or we think things or we pray things like, God, I know that I did this. I know that I have fallen short here, but God, I promise that if you'll just forgive me or if you'll just get me out of this situation or, or if you'll just take this sin from me, I'll never do it again. I'll read my Bible. I'll, I'll do whatever it takes. But here's the good news. Because of Jesus, we can rest from trying to justify our sins to ourselves and trying to justify ourselves before a holy God. Because here's the thing. What the gospel proves is that our sins are far worse than we care to admit. Our sins are far worse than we understand. And we know this because it took nothing less than the death of Jesus, the, the perfect son of God, to save us. What the gospel also tells us is that our sins, as heinous and as terrible as they were, they were paid for on the cross of Christ. And so because of what Jesus done, has done, we can now have forgiveness. And so because of Jesus, we don't have to justify ourselves because nothing we say can make God love us. But what Jesus did on the cross does. See, what Jesus did on the cross is, is he made us clean. He made us righteous. He made the unlovely lovely. And so we aren't loved by God because of our arguments. We're loved by God because of Jesus. We're not loved by God because we have figured out a, a rational way or a logical way for us to be forgiven or because we've paid for our sins or we've paid for our debts. We are loved by God because of what Jesus has done. See, we can't earn that, but Jesus has. And so we see in this passage, we, we see who Jesus is and what Jesus does and we see this, why Jesus came. Here in verse 28, this is the, the climax of an argument that began in chapter five. He's making this argument of why we need a better high priest than the, the ones who came before and, and why that is Jesus. And so in verse 27, we saw that he, he's gonna contrast Jesus with the priest, but he's gonna keep this contrasting. He's gonna keep contrasting where the priest came from here. So look at verse 28. He says, for the law appoints men in their weakness as high priest. But the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. So the, the old high priest, the, the high priest under the old covenant, they came from the law. That word appoints, it, it literally means that they have been authorized. The, the, these men, these old priests, they were authorized by the law to serve. But it says here that the law appoints men in their 
weakness. So what is this weakness? Well, this weakness is that they're sinful men, right? They've got to offer sacrifices for themselves. But also their weakness is that they're subjected to death. And so they can't offer the once sacrifice for all because ultimately they go away. But not so with Jesus, that Jesus came by the word of the oath. Now, maybe when you read that phrase, you you scratch your head a little bit. Well, what is this word of the oath? Well, turn in your Bibles just to Hebrews chapter 7, just a couple chapters over. And look at Hebrews chapter 7. Excuse me, Hebrews, uh, yeah, Hebrews chapter 7, verses 20 and 22. And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest, this Jesus was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Verse 22, this makes Jesus the guarantor of a, the guarantor of a better covenant. See, the author's showing us that, that Jesus isn't like a priest like the old covenant priest, the, uh, a priest that came from the law, but he's a priest that came from an oath, that came from a promise from the Father. And he quotes there Psalm 110. He says, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. He's saying this psalm is about Jesus. And so we talked about Melchizedek earlier. Here, what the the writer of Hebrews is doing is he's saying that that Jesus, he's not a priest like the priest that came, that the law authorized or that the law appointed. He is a priest that has come from a promise of God. The, The law promised a priest who would offer sacrifices daily for his people, but those sacrifices would constantly have to be renewed. But what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that Jesus came as a priest, not like the one who has to keep offering sacrifices, but a priest who's going to come and he's going to offer one sacrifice for all. And then what he's going to go on to say is that he sits down at the right hand of the Father because his work is done. See, Jesus sits down, his work is done. He doesn't need to keep offering sacrifices. And if you and I are trusting in him, if we're we're putting our faith in him, then you and I don't have to keep offering sacrifices because Jesus has already done it, right? Jesus has already secured that sacrifice for us. And so this oath appoints the son as our great high priest. And how long does he serve as our great high priest? Forever. His priestly ministry never ends. Even now, he's going before the father for us. But there's another, there's another phrase in verse 28 that, that sticks out that, that maybe makes you scratch your head. He says, for the law appoints men in their weakness as a high priest, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. What does it mean that, that Jesus has been made perfect? Does that mean that there was something that was lacking in him? Does that, does that mean that, that he was less than perfect and then he became perfect? Well, what the writer of Hebrews is doing there is he's communicating to us this idea of completion, of that Jesus has completed his work by, by overcoming these earthly limitations. See, Jesus wasn't lacking, but he was completing the work that had been set out for him. Now, how does this perfection take place? Look at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. See, through his suffering on the cross, Jesus is perfected. Through his suffering on the cross, Jesus is qualified to be our priest. Now, isn't it interesting 
Remember, this is the Holy Spirit-inspired Scripture. The way God chose to work in Jesus, the way God chose to qualify Him or to prepare Him or to complete Him or to perfect Him, that that came through suffering. Ultimately, it came through suffering on the cross. And so the question for us today is if God works in Jesus through suffering, if God does his best work really through the suffering of the cross, why would we expect his work in us to look any differently? See, in the same way that Jesus was prepared to be our great high priest, we are prepared, we are being prepared to be with him. And so it's God's regular means to work in his people in the same way, to work in us through suffering. What this means is that there is always a point to our suffering, that God does his best work in us when our life is the hardest. See, the way God works in his people is by using our pain to show us that he is worth it all. And so for the Christian, there is no such thing as pointless pain. So when we suffer, God is working. And it's not always easy to see, but it's guaranteed. And so when you feel that pain, when you feel that heart level, that gut punch, that in that pain, God is doing something great. Because what we know from the gospel is that God's best work happened in pain. God's best work happened in suffering, that through the suffering of Jesus, that many sons would come to glory, right, is what the scripture says. And what Romans 8 tells us is that this present suffering isn't to be compared with the glory that awaits us. And so that in our pain and in our trials and in our suffering, that that is not a moment, that is not a season, that is not a time when God is absent. Our pain and our suffering isn't a time when God has taken his hand off the wheel and life is just happening. Know that in our pain and in our suffering, God is working. And what's even greater is that we have a high priest in Jesus, according to Hebrews 4. We have a high priest who can sympathize with us in our weakness because he has been tempted in every way that we have been tempted, yet without sin. And so when we are in that pain and we are tempted to question God, why are you letting me feel this? Why are you letting me walk through this? Why are you letting me deal with this? God, I'm not sure that you are in control. We can look to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, and we can know that because Jesus is alive, that God is working in our pain. Right? There's always a purpose. There's always a point to our pain. We never suffer needlessly. From the smallest to the greatest, our sufferings are never worthless. In our sufferings, God is always, always, always doing something. See, Jesus, as our high priest, he, he does what no other priest can do. He he. he offers the sacrifice, he is the sacrifice, and then he comes alongside us in our weakness and reminds us of the grace that he has secured for us. So that as we walk through that pain, as we walk through that suffering, as we walk through that trial, we're not walking through that pain and that suffering and that trial alone. It's not as if God has said, 
you're going to suffer and you're gonna have to figure out how to make it through on your own. No, God has said that as suffering comes, Jesus is walking with you and that it's his grace that is carrying you through that moment. It's his grace that's carrying you through that season. It's, it's his grace that's carrying you through that pain. See, Jesus is the, the great high priest who, who offers the sacrifice and he himself is the sacrifice. And so this means that our sins have been paid for by the perfect sacrifice. And so we can rest in that. We don't have to keep trying to make God love us or, or keep trying to make God forgiveness because it, he, Jesus has done that. Jesus has won God's forgiveness for you and for me. And so we've got to remind ourselves of that each and every day. And what this also means is that forgiveness is always available. But forgiveness is always available for the Christian who messes up, but for the Christian who says, God, I, I can't believe I did that, right? I never thought that I would do that. I never thought I would act that way. I never thought I would say that. Forgiveness is always available. But what this also means is that forgiveness is always available for those who have yet to bow their knees at the feet of Jesus. That today, forgiveness is available to anyone and everyone who would receive it. Not anyone and everyone who would earn it, but anyone and everyone who would receive it who would take it, that, that God's grace is a gift, it's not a paycheck. That God's grace is a gift for those who need it, which is everyone. And so that means that this morning that there is forgiveness available for you. So if you'll come to Jesus, if you'll, you'll lay your life down at his feet, then what he promises is forgiveness. Not forgiveness for today, but forgiveness once for all. So that in Christ, that relationship that was broken because of our sin is restored. Because he is gracious. Because of the work that he did, not because of the work that we do, because of the, the work that he did in spite of the work that we have done. So maybe this morning, maybe you say, Ethan, I need that forgiveness. Maybe you say, Ethan, I, I've been following Jesus for years, but, but I have messed up. And I don't know what to do. What we always do when we mess up is we go to Jesus. Maybe say, Ethan, I, I've never trusted Jesus, but I'm, I'm feeling the weight of my guilt even now. I'm, I'm feeling the weight of my sin on me even now. The good news is, is that Jesus promises forgiveness. That Jesus offers forgiveness to you, not based on anything about you, but just simply based on him. And so he, he, he's inviting you to come to him today, to, to trust him, to, to know him and to be known by him today and to be forgiven, to be made clean, to be made righteous and spotless so that you can draw near to God the Father in the same way that Jesus does, holy and innocent and unstained. And so maybe that's what you need to do today. We need someone to pray with you. You can send a text to 407-338-4024. There's people, there's someone on the other end of that line who's ready to start that conversation, ready to see how we can begin praying for you, how we can be, begin praying that you would see and that you would know and you would taste and you would feel God's grace. Or maybe you just need to talk to someone. You can go out of these doors, go to the right. Our next step stream is right there. There's people in there who would love to talk with you about what does it look like to follow Jesus or, or what does it look like to, to lay your sins, to lay your burden down at his feet or, or what does it look like to feel the freedom of the weight of sin? What, what does it look like for the gospel to meet you right where you are? 
So one of the things that I love that we get to do every week is we get to celebrate the grace and the goodness and the gospel of Jesus Christ. We get to celebrate about what we sing. We get to celebrate it uh, as we look at his word. And so uh, this morning is no different. And so here, just a minute, I'm going to pray and we're going to stand and we're going to sing and, and we're going to sing a song that is going to celebrate the truth, that is going to celebrate the fact that we have a great high priest whose name is love. Right, we have a, a great high priest who, who calls us to come before the Father. And so maybe as we sing, maybe you just need to pray. Maybe you need to pray and, and ask that the Lord would, would apply that gospel truth to your heart or, or maybe you need someone to pray with you. Maybe instead of standing and singing, maybe you need to go out those doors and maybe you need to go to that next steps room and, and you need to find that person in there who's, who's waiting and they're waiting for you, right? That the Lord has them in there today for you. Maybe you need to go so that you can be reminded or you can hear, you can feel God's grace for the first time for you. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your grace and your mercy and your love. God, thank you that we have a great high priest in Jesus who does what no other priest can do. And so, Father, I pray that we would know his grace. We would know your grace. We would know your forgiveness. We would know your goodness. We would know intimacy with you even now. God, I pray that that we would trust in the final sacrifice the sacrifice offered once for all. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Thank you again for listening to the Central Church Podcast. For more information on how to take your next step, visit us online at gocentralchurch.org.